0: Jim Nance, thank you very much for the introduction there. I appreciate it. And I've got a really good guest that I lined up for you here this week, all you guys out there. Christina Kim. She's been commentating. Of course, she's LPGA Tour winner, three-time winner, and she's been commentating for PGA Tour Live. If you've been seeing stuff on Twitter, a lot of audience interaction with her during her um, breaks when she's on on the air and just just you know we're seeing positive we're seeing negative a few different comments obviously from her but nonetheless a lot of people talking about her we dig into her opinions on bryson of course that meltdown on the back nine on friday and a lot of other stuff for her calling tiger woods's shots for the first time of course she looked up to tiger growing up being a fellow native um californian so That, as well as Phil Mickelson, a lot of insight on his putting stroke, and she's not afraid to be blunt about not liking what she saw from his putting stroke on that first day. A lot of comments. Uh, You're really going to like this one here from Christina Kim, and let's get straight to it. All right, welcome to this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse, and we've got Christina Kim, three-time LPGA Tour winner with us. There she is. Uh, in a cart on camera right now. So a lot of fun, it's kind of a, a video back and forth here. And Christina, you're coming straight from the booth. You've had a long day. I heard you've been up since super early according to your, your coworker, Brian Catrick. How are you doing this, uh, today?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I am truly just living the dream. Uh, f- was up at 4 a.m., got a workout in, grabbed some breakfast went over went to the office which is a very strange thing for me to say and was commentating from 7 a.m until about 5:45 this evening um off and on so had I'm not sure seven hours almost eight hours of commentary and I just had such a great time
0: let's get straight to it with Bryson Shambo. You had tweeted that the last hour of the coverage, what's going on, so much happening. Of course, he makes a 10. Um, he has those two rulings and um, really a struggle there on the back nine. What did you make of kind of what he went through there?
1: Um. First and foremost, my heart went out for him because he, you know, he's, he's playing pretty darn well. You know, he was um, two shots inside of the cut line. He was, you know, standing on the tee of a par five and I'm sure he was just salivating at the mouth thinking three four would be okay um, and just hit a poor tee shot that went too far left hit a tree came down in the hazard and it happened to come down in the hazard in a spot that was shaded very 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 thick very long very juicy rough Um, you know, had to hit between two trees that were probably, you know, 30 yards ahead of him. So in theory, you know, he had goalposts and took a drop and for some reason decided to try and go for it and try and hit the green in regulation after having taken his drop and flailed one ball off to the right, ended up, um, you know, on the other side of a fence, dropped it to hit a provisional in case, you know, he, he couldn't find it identical shot and ended up must have ended up within five to seven yards of each other. And then after that decided to do it again. And this time, you know, thankfully his, his second provisional ended up um, just short of a hazard there. And, you know, I, I I was standing there with Billy Kratzer watching this and I'm like, what are you thinking? You know, I mean, there's so many ways where you can, obviously, of course, you know, you want to be, Um, the hero and you want to hit the impossible shots and all of that, you don't have to do it on a Friday afternoon coming down the final stretch um, where you're still, you know, your two shots inside of the cut line, you want to try and feel like you're minimizing mistakes and you had 17 which is still very birdieable, you know, 16 where you're going to have, you know, you're going to have like a nine iron into that green and so I just think that he kind of he lost his damn mind for a minute, and so my heart went out to him. Um, and I was just I, I I didn't know what to say. You know, I mean, there was so much silence between Billy and I because we are like, "What is happening?" Um, because realistically, he could have just pitched it out. Um, advanced at 150 yards or something like that, have a nice little wedge in a kind of, a kind of shot where you can really dictate the kind of spin you want to have coming into the green, hit something close, make your five, go home. And he went the hero route. You know, he, he almost had a little bit of a, you know, Phil Mickelson 06. combined with thin <laughs> cup moment. Yeah. And, you know, so then he goes up there, he, he, we end up finding his ball. turns out, you know, he, thought that his ball was in bounds when clearly it was out because you know it's it's from the um, edge of the fencing closest to the golf course that is the boundary and you have to take that line and go straight up all the way oh, yeah. infinitely and he thought that I believe he thought the boundary would have been different from where it was and it was clearly out of bounds and so that you know that that stunk for him because then all of a sudden you know he dropped three or he dropped his second shot hit third out of bounds dropped four hit five out of bounds dropped uh, um dropped six hit his seventh shot and then you know failed to get up and down you know once he hit his eighth shot and walked away with 10
0: walked away with 10 on the pga tour uh, and and like you said it, he was two inside the cut line going in i mean yep not, gosh, I mean, not a position that, that a player who's coming off a win would, would expect to be in, right?
1: Yes, I guess in theory at the same time, you know, he's still undergoing, um, you know, moments of change and he's still undergoing, you know, he's, he's still learning his new body and he's still learning this and that. And, and he is very young at the end of the day. He is very, very young. So we do have to be mindful of that. And again, he you know, he wanted to be the superhero and I think the superheroes really show who they are um, come Saturday and Sunday. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing first and foremost is to make sure you get to Saturday and Sunday. So even if he had walked off with a six, he was still one inside the cut line. You know, I, I think, I believe he still made Birdie on um, 17 maybe, like, you know, it was just there were, was the it um, was yeah. just, yeah, it just, it really, really, it sucked you know, and, and as a player, you witness things like that. And it's like, okay, sometimes you just need to take a breath. And it, it sounds kind of funny considering, you know, his nickname as a scientist is just like, buddy, you just got to think for a second. <laughs> and, you know, it, it just, yeah, it just sucked. It's not fun to watch, you know, realistically, it really isn't fun. And I know there are some people that, you know, like to hate on him. And there are some people that, you know, like to see the pro struggle. I, I can be there with you up to a certain point. If somebody's out there and he's looking at two pars on one hole, that's never fun, no matter who you are.
0: Oh, certainly. Yeah. Well, I, I'll get off of Bryson in just a minute, but I, I'm curious because you had a, a, an interesting call in the first round.
1: He said, how, I can't believe how did that draw?
0: There you go. How did it draw? I, you know, I've got to check the record. Yes. How did it draw? And you said, bro, the ball's above your feet, right? I mean, that kind of reaction just is, is comes naturally for you on the commentating?
1: Yeah, I, well, and that's the thing, you know, for me, when I sit there and I, and I think that I'm commentating, I'm just doing what I do with my buddies whenever we're watching, you know, the US Open, the Masters, the Open Championship, you know, um, the PGA, the players, you know, whenever we're fortunate enough to be able to actually watch some of the guys because we're, you know, we're, we do uh, play ourselves and we do play up against them um, a lot of the, uh, most of the year. And so when we do get those opportunities to be able to just sit back and watch, it's just like, like I say that to my friends, like I'll say that to, you know, fellow tour players when we're in practice rounds, like, you know, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll teacup, we call it, where they put their hand on one hip and they're like this, like, how did that happen? And it's like, it's science, bro. You know, like, it, it's very simple. If the ball's above your feet, it's going to cause, um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to be coming in at an angle where it's going to snag the, um, snag the toe it's going to snag the heel it's going to flip it over like it's 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 just simple you know um, and then especially since he's got all of his clubs you know cut to the length and lie of a six iron you know it's if you don't have a perfectly flat lie there is going to definitely be some movement of the ball uh, if you don't have a perfectly flat lie so yeah I mean I say stuff like that all the time. <laughs>
0: It just comes, comes off naturally. I do have an audience question for you. Um, on Twitter, we had at Woodham, excuse me, at Adam Woodard, who said, backing off and letting player caddy conversations come through, as you did in the first round, once you heard it, you stopped. Um, was that a directive or an advice from someone else kind of thing, or was it kind of your own thing that you discovered there?
1: Well, it was a little bit of a combination of both. Obviously, you know, when I first came into – uh, the commentary booth, um, you know, I was speaking with the director, uh, the executive producers, I was speaking with my fellow um, analysts, and I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm a chatty Kathy. So I need help. I need direction. And, um, you know, I the I did commentate for the RBC a few weeks back for Thursday and Friday coverage. And, um, you know, I'm just so excited because I'm such a I'm just a golf nerd. I'm a golf fan. I love architecture. So getting the chance to be on a uh, commentator over a Pete Dye golf course this week on a Jack Nicklaus golf, design like you know it's just really really cool and so they told me they're like hey you know um, we want to make sure that we can let the players and caddies tell us what they're doing as opposed to us having to tell the audience what they're doing if we get that chance and so for me it was sort of an epiphany moment um, you know when I was doing the coverage a couple weeks ago where I was like this is brilliant. Brilliant. What the PJ Tour Live is doing is absolutely brilliant because, you know, for once, you're following every single shot of four featured groups, um, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, and you're really getting that kind of connection with the player. You're getting an understanding of the um, relationship that the player has with their caddy. And on top of that, it's not like standard golf commentary. You... Silence is golden at times, you know, and, 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 on top of that, I sit there and I'm like, I want to know what Colin's talking about with his caddy. Like how are they discussing this shot? You know, because mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when you're in in, in professional golf, you have your way of communicating with your caddy, you have your way of communicating with yourself and, you know, it, I do listen in on what other players and caddies, um, you know, are saying to each other a lot of the time, just because I'm like, I wonder what's going on in your brain. I wonder where you are psychologically. And so to be able to tap into the brains of, you know, last week's champion, as well as one of the best players in the world, uh, one of the best up and comers in the world, the best iron player, I think, since Tiger Woods this is stuff I want to know as well, because we can all glean information from listening in on these guys and also just being able to really showcase how amazing and important the player caddy relationship is, I think is just imperative. There's so many times when you know you go to a, um, you know, a, a golf resort or a country club that does supply caddies. And, you know, sometimes you'll see people that just, you know, treat them, you know, not so well. And I sit back and I say, what if someone came into your job and treated you like that? These people, these caddies are an integral part of the fabric of the game, um, whether at the professional level or not, You know, they, they've been there since the early days of golf. So I think that they deserve a hell of a lot more respect than they do. Um, and you can clearly see based on the communications you were um, listening in on between Colin and his caddy, Um, JT and Jimmy, they, they, they're, they're a unit, you know, and these caddies, they don't just work for these players. They work with them. And that's something that I always stress to my caddies whenever I work with them is we are a unit and we are inextricably tied together. And so let us both work the best that we can and really do our best together because this is a team effort.
0: Yeah. Well, in particular, Colin Murakawa and his caddy, JJ Jakovac, they're, they're pretty close. They've only been together for a year, but in that particular case, definitely a strong team, a strong bond, as you mentioned. Um, this week, correct me if I'm wrong, was the first time you commentated while Tiger Woods has been in those featured groups. So what was that like for you to, to, to you know, kind of lend your voice to that?
1: That was so freaking cool. It was, you know, I mean, I had spent years, you know, decades, really watching Tiger, um, you know, obviously huge fan of his and everything that he's done to truly transform the game, and so to be able to actually sit back and be like, oh my gosh, like when I saw that he had committed to the memorial, which you know doesn't surprise me because obviously he's he's uh, won there five times, he is very close with Mr. Nicholas, and you know it was just the coolest thing when I heard that he was committing to the event, and I was like. I can assume he's going to be in one of those featured groups. I could be wrong.
0: Safe bet. <laughs>
1: Safe bet. And um, so, you know, when I heard that I was going to be commentating for Tiger and Phil as well in that first round, I was just, I, you know, I got giddy because, you know, sneakily I, I, I do, I'm, I'm, I'm commentating and I'm also still just watching golf. So <laughs> it was just so cool. And to be able to, um, really feel like I was there on the course with him and listening to him and Joe LaCava talking and things like that. It, it, it's just, you know, it, the, the PJ Tour Live does such an amazing job at really giving you a completely different look into, um, you know, the television commentary with the players and caddies out there. And it was just, I, I, could not have asked for anything more. I could have asked for Tiger to shoot 66, 63, (laughs) um, you know, in theory.
0: Well, at least it looks like he's around for the weekend. Phil Mickelson, I know that um, there was a point where I thought you were pretty blunt about it. Like, remember his putting stroke on the first day? Mm -hmm. He'd bring it back and he'd stop. And you said for a field player like Phil, it's a little surprising he would do something like that. Now, that's just, just something that just comes off the top of your head in that case, right?
1: That was the first time I ever saw him do that and I was blown away, Um, you know, and that was, you know, a lot of what I do are just gut, you know, gut reactions. And so I watched it for five hours, you know, he pretty much only did it with putts that were um, inside of about 10 feet because once he got to like that 12, 15 foot range, he started going back with more of his quote unquote, you know, normal stroke of that free flowing, um, you know, just that fluid stroke that he always has. And, and so when I went home, I sat and thought about it because I was like, you know, as, as as brilliant as Phil is, as creative as he is, and as intelligent as he is, especially when it comes to the game of golf, there has to be a reason. And so, you know, I thought about it and I practiced things like that, you know, I've practiced almost anything and everything you could think of when it comes to changing grips, changing putter heads, changing styles, changing, you know, almost any aspect of the game, and I was like, okay, I mean, and I thought about, okay, what are things that Phil had always had to work on improving, and one of them was the fact that his um, follow-through, you know, his, his, his um, you know, the backstroke was always okay, and that the, the follow-through was always, you know, some he would decel a lot, and right. there were times when he would get stabby. Mm-hmm. And so, by virtue of taking a small backstroke, placing the putter head on the ground, and then just accelerating through, it almost kind of made sense because he was trying to provide himself with a means of just having. Um, you know, one style of acceleration, as opposed to having that D cell, having that, you know, peaking, um, or, you know, uh, coming up out of the stroke or something like that. And he was able to keep his putter head low, which is something that I think he does better than almost anyone else on the planet. And, you know, I I, I started to pick it apart. And to an extent, it does make a little sense.
0: Yeah, that he's going that way, huh?
1: Yeah. And then at the same time, I sit there and I'm like, No, 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 no! I don't like, I don't like, no, please, because it's just so, you know, opposite of what you think of when you think of Phil Mickelson, you know, he has those, those unbelievable hands where he'll hit a flop shot, I'll go six feet in the air and three feet forward, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see him where he hits these unbelievable bunker shots Um, And he's just truly a magician when he has that wedge in his hand. And, and, you know, the putting stroke is, is just an abbreviated version of the full swing. So, you know, that just really, really jarred me. Um, And then today when I was watching it, one, he did it a little bit less and two, I understood what he was doing. So I kind of appreciated what it was that he was doing. And I'll, I will definitely give him credit for, being willing to take something so unorthodox and try and put it in play, because why not?
0: Yeah, it's he, he's tinkering. He's at that point, at age 50, he's, he's trying different things. At that
1: point, he's a tinkerer. <laughs> That's all he ever does. It's
0: what do you, remarkable. What do you make of the social media reaction so far these first these first couple rounds for your work? Uh,
1: well, you know, I I think that it's really, really cool that so many people have not only tuned in um you know because obviously i think the pj tour live coverage is again i cannot sing its praises enough um i think that it's really changing and challenging the way that we do commentary in the golf industry which i think is sorely needed and you know the fact that i've got you know some people that are tuning in specifically to you know listen to what i have to say be it for a good reason or a bad reason you know i think that's pretty cool um at the end of the day you know I just know that I gave it my all. I tried as hard as I could. I'm still learning every single day, every single moment, every single shot that I'm watching, I'm still learning. And, you know, I'm just having a ball and hopefully people will kind of get the sense of, yeah, it's just like, you're sitting at home on the couch with your hand down your pants, you know, just chewing on some snacks and having a good time ribbing with your friends about what's going on out there. Um, along with just, you know hopefully a little bit of insight when it comes to the architecture of the golf course um, the usage of the contours of the greens why certain shots are being hit over others and you know maybe giving someone even if it's just one thing that they learn throughout the entire coverage of all of the words that i say i think that's a pretty awesome thing um and you know there are some people that had some things that were less pleasant to say and quite frankly, there were some people that said some things that were actually kind of valid. So, you know, I take everything in stride. Um, If it's something that I think is worth looking into, I will definitely look into it. And, you know, I'm not really one to um, sit there and say that everybody's opinion is going to affect me. Not really the kind of person to sit there and say anyone's opinion is going to affect me. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone thinks I did a great job, cool story, bro. If someone thinks I did crap, cool story, bro. Um, At the end of the day, all I know is I'm trying my best, just as I know every single person is at every waking moment of their lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's the job. As you said, you went to the office today, so (laughs) you're doing that. Such Um,
1: weird words.
0: (laughs) I know, especially for a golfer, professional. Who are people that also do this job of commentating that are kind of influencing how you're doing your job? Or is that happening much for you?
1: Um. You know, I I think that the reason that the PJ Tour asked me to be here this week is because I'm not really trying to emulate anybody. Um, And I'm not saying that I'm trying to forge this new horizons, blah, 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 whatever. (laughs) I'm just doing what I know. And what I know is to talk golf. What I know is to... um, you know, discuss the thought process that a player might be going through over a particular kind of shot. Um, you know, I'm I'm not an analyst in the same way that, you know, the great Brian Katrick is, um, you know, Billy Kratzer, who's been doing this for so long, Craig Perks, like, I'm still an active player. So I'm coming into this with the mindset of an active player. And I am a newbie. So I'm going to stumble along the way But just like an infant that's learning how to walk, I'm not going to take any of these mistakes that I've made and prevent it from me trying again. So I'm just coming in, like I I sit there and I say, I I could never provide the same kind of um, imaginative and intellectual coverage that a Brian Trick can do. And at the same time, he can't provide the exact same thing that I can as a currently active player. So um, you know, I, I think over the years, obviously I have been influenced by everyone from the likes of the great Judy Rankin. Um, you know, I, I do I do love me some Peter Alice, you know, obviously Brian, because I've known him for years, Billy, you know, and and I just I don't really know how to how to answer that. You know, all I know sure. is I'm just I'm I'm doing my best to not think you know and and just to react because you know I'm I don't do well when it comes to things that are curated like I once went and tried I was like hustled into doing this like uh, dance choreography from the movie Grease and I blew it because (laughs) I was taught the moves and I'm like "Uh -uh," you know and and that's kind of how it goes like you know whenever I do a lot of interviews and things like that I say I do not want a script because I don't want to sit there and say something that might be anything other than me just being my authentic self, be it a good thing or be it a bad thing.
0: Yeah. No, just, just being you, being, being honest. Um, what are, when, when as you, you call yourself a newbie, obviously the player coming into the booth with there's so many multiple monitors to look at, there's multiple voices, there's things in your ear producers talking to you so much going on during a broadcast. What are the biggest challenges for you in, in commentating? Do you feel like,
1: um, You know, for me, like my number one thing is to try and make sure we can hear every interaction that we can get from between a player and a caddy or between two players. And, you know, like you had said before, you know, there there were some shots that I was talking and then I heard the player and the caddy starting to speak. And so I stopped. So for me, the biggest challenge is the fact that I'm not a clairvoyant and I can't anticipate when they're gonna start talking. So I worry that I miss the first couple of words. Um, You know, I got voices in my head all the time. What's a couple more, the way that I see it. And, um, you know, I, 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 I guess the biggest challenge is like, if I need to go and, uh, grab a drink or grab a snack or, you know, go to the restroom and wash my, hand for my, my hands for the 80th time of the day. And we're told we're on a two minute break. And I just sprint from the studio down, you know, maybe 75 feet or something like that. It might be about 90 feet, because it does feel like going from from first to second base, um, you know, to go run in there and wash my hands or something like that. And then you hear in your ear, okay, 60 seconds. And I'm like, I just how did that take a minute? You know, it's and so possible. you sprint back into the studio and then you're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, and you're you, you walk in, you know, right when right when they get that nice little countdown and things like that. Um, you know, I I just think it's all part of the duty of a presenter to sit there and learn. Um, oh I'm not gonna lie, the I don't even know the name of the thingamajiggy, the thingy where I was like drawing like circles and arrows and sticks and things like that. that telestrator,
0: tell us, tell us yeah
1: telestrator I kept thinking I'm like it's not a teleprompter and it's not telekinesis it's a telestrator excuse me that just learning that because it's it's different it's it's extremely intuitive so I'll just like you know when I this morning when I came in I was like you know pushing various um you know options and you know throwing things up or whatever and I was like oh it's super easy it's just you know when they wheel this very expensive monitor in front of your body you're just like I I don't want to can we switch places? Because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to touch. Um, so that was probably the most challenging thing, you know, other than uh, just trying to be um, cognizant of when the players and caddies are talking. It's, it really, you know, it's. I love encountering new opportunities. Um, you know, I, I, I try to avoid thinking of things as challenges because, you know, it's just, you're, you're coming on to an, a new, exciting adventure, you know, and, and life in and of itself is, I always say that life is like a scavenger hunt. And so we're, we're out here finding all of these beautiful little golden nuggets that are new experiences and that turn you into a new, different and better version of who you were before you found them. So, you know, these are just amazing opportunities that I've been provided and, and, you know, I've just had an absolute ball.
0: And how are you staying so energetic for these long days? You mentioned you get up at 4 a.m. on a Friday. You're still going, still going. Like, how are you able to sustain all this?
1: It's easy when, you know, and I've been so lucky over the course of my playing career so far. You know, it's, it may be something that some people have a difficult time um, understanding. You know, I have this, this running joke with a really close friend of mine who says, I've never worked a day in my life. And, you know, I, I kind of took a little bit of offense to that. And he's like, I just mean that, you know, you're so lucky to do something that you love. And, and he's very right. I'm lucky that I get to do what I love and that I love what I do. And I've come to find that this commentary, it's so much fun. So, you know, as long as you know that you have to get up at four in the morning, that means, you know, get to bed at eight it's really not that hard, you know, and, and I'm also just on such um, an adrenaline rush, just with this new opportunity that I've been given. And, you know, again, I'm just watching golf, you know, that that's the way that I see it. And and I'm trying to provide some, some insight and some perspective to the audience that, that are watching. And I am very cognizant of that. It's just, I feel like if I were to try and press the issue and do something disingenuous or different from who I am as a person that's when it would get taxing for me so as long as I'm staying true to who I am and I'm able to just continue to have fun then you know you don't lose any any energy over that like you lose like I may have lost about eight or nine months of my life just because of like my heart being ripped out of my throat for the last 10 hours today um, because Fridays always are stressful in that sense and you know I I'm rooting for every single player that's out there Um, but up in here in my brain I mean it's like I'm like a kid in a candy store it's just so much fun that you know I I just feel so lucky to be given this opportunity.
0: Definitely, yeah, it's, it, it's a cool deal. And LPGA Tour Live is on for so long, it's such a great asset for fans to watch at home too, this laptop or on their phone. Um, for you, as you look ahead, um, I know you got five starts coming out on the LPGA Tour, and of course you have started into this uh, broadcasting role here. So, so how do you see things kind of balancing kind of in the, in the, in the near future?
1: I, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, very much focused on living in the present. Um, you know, I have spent a lot of my life previously, you know, either dwelling so much on the past or looking so far ahead where, you know, I've come to the realization that the future's never written. You yourself are both the pen and the paper to write that future. So, you know, I, all I know is I'm so excited for these next five starts and to get back to competing and to get back into playing. I have worked my tail off um, emotionally, physically, mentally to get back to where I want to be with my golf game um, and to go beyond where I wanted to get back to. And so for me, I'm not done competing. And an amazing thing about the PGA Tour um, entertainment team, they said, you know, we want to work with your schedule. If it works, we would love to have you on. And if it doesn't work, we will find the time. There's, there, there's no, you know, they're, they're, they sit there and they don't say, you know, we've got a contract, we need you to commentate for 20 weeks out of the year. You know, they, they, they are very, very aware of the fact that I'm still currently playing. And I am so thankful that they're not making me choose. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's amazing that they encourage me to continue to play. And um, they're very nurturing and a very, very, you know, really just a truly caring team. So again, I I cannot stress enough how freaking lucky I feel to be able to have stumbled into um, this wonderful golden nugget on my little scavenger hunt of life.
0: Right, well in your scavenger hunt of life in your golf life, because of your golfing career, um, I always talk about the friendships that I'm lucky to have made because of the game, covering the game as a journalist for you as a player what are some of the really cool friendships you've made lasting friendships because of golf
1: well i mean obviously you know everyone knows that you know i mean michelle we and i we basically we were in essence rookies together even though she was still like, four or five years away from actu- or three years away from actually turning pro we um, played together at the what is now the A Inspiration, it was a Craft Nabisco that year, along with Natalie Galvis, who I've personally known, you know, she grew up in West Sac, not far from where you grew up. And so she and I competed together ever since I was 12 or 13. Um, you know, Dorothy Dellison, Meg Mallon, Beth Daniel, Nancy Lopez, Sari e. Pack, Julie Inkster. I, I could go on and on and on about some of the most amazing women that I've been fortunate enough to not only compete against. Um, Lorena Ochoa, who is, I swear, under 50 years from now, she is going to be canonized. Um, you know, I think that I've been so, so lucky to get these, um, you know, friendships by virtue of competition um you know and then you know so many friends in the journalistic world as well randall mel who is an og and one of the greatest writers that i've ever met um shane ryan shane bacon alan Shipnuck, you know you i mean there's there's just there's so many people that i've been able to um say and call friends that you know I, i'd like to think that um you know a lot of that is. granted all of that is due to golf because one of the best things about this game is you don't have to speak the same language as a person that you're playing against or playing with. You do not have to come from the same socioeconomic background. You do not have to be the same race, the same gender, the same orientation. Golf is all golf cares about is what you do on the golf course. And it doesn't matter how it's all about how many. And so, you know, I've, had a pretty great life in that regard.
0: Well, also how many you've had on the 19th hole of celebrating with friends afterwards. I, I love that part of it too. The stories we all tell each other um, after our rounds. What about um, the people you've met because of golf? And I'm talking about maybe, maybe not even, you know, maybe it's other athletes, other actors, politicians, because you were involved in golf. Have you had those aha moments? You're like, wow, how did that happen? But I, I guess... I'm in golf. So it did.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to meet, um, you know, President Barack Obama, President George um, W. Bush. Um, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with George Lopez, the comedian and actor. Um, uh, Cedric the entertainer, Anthony Anderson, Don Cheadle and I are friends. Like, I, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald, I, I there are some, unbelievable michelle kwan like these people that i have grown up idolizing in the sports industry like it is it is just so amazing because golf is the great equalizer you know you can like you know during the match when you had um uh when you had tom brady and the sheriff paired with um phil and tiger and you're just like (laughs) how can you be so athletic And yet you can't make that little ball go where you want it to go, you know. And then if they were to hand me a pigskin, I would probably break a toe because I would just throw it straight down into the ground. So, you know, I think that it it really is pretty remarkable, some of the human beings that you can meet. And, you know, just people that are not professional athletes and people that are not actors, people that are not politicians, people that are just amazed by and empowered by their love of the game of golf. You know, I mean, there are countless people that I've met, you know, I've got, um, you know, someone very special to me, you know, um, a great friend, Todd, I've got another friend, Matthew that, you know, I, they're not professional golfers. We just all have a love and passion for the game. Like it's, again, golf doesn't care about who you are. They care about who you are.
0: Well, you mentioned, um, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, Is there a story that comes to mind with playing with him as one of your favorite?
1: Well, I've actually, so that's the thing. I've never actually played with him. My boyfriend who caddies on the LPGA tour was um, given the opportunity to caddy for Larry Fitzgerald at the Diamond Resorts um, LPGA Tournament of Champions earlier this year in January. And I just remember when I, because, you know, it's like Every now and again, you want a tour wife and, you know, follow along with the boyfriend and see how his player is doing, whomever his player is. Um, you know, whether it's a friend of mine that is a fellow tour player or Larry freaking Fitzgerald. And, and, you know, I remember I was, I walked up to watch them on, on the first day and, you know, there were so many fans that were out there following Larry and I was just off to the side and walked up by the tee. And he turned around and saw me, I was like, oh my gosh, Christina. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, who's Christina? You know, and he came over, gave me a huge hug, told me to come inside the ropes with him, walk with him. And, you know, I'd be, um, you know, standing outside the ropes and just watching them, just cheering them on. And, you know, he would sit there and be like, hey, watch this. And he has one of the best short games I've ever seen. It is obscene how good it is and you know he would just be there from 80 yards and just knock it up to two feet and I'm like how can you be one of the greatest football players and have time to play golf you know and um so I'd be sitting there uh, you know after the round he would be sitting there with um you know with with Duncan my boyfriend just hitting balls on the range you know it'd be the golden hour and he's just having the time of his life Michael Pena who's a close friend of mine also came out and was like you know just hanging out hitting balls in front of them they started doing this little short game matches and that because michael's a pretty darn good golfer and um, he had the early
0: lead michael had the early yes. lead at the tahoe celebrity yes. event just a week ago
1: yep he is a rock star and then i um you know like larry the cable guy another good friend of mine a, a, a close friend of mine was catting for him like are just all sorts of um neat little stories. And, and I remember, you know, one night that, that week, Larry asked, he said, would you like to come to dinner? Um, you know, we've we've got a friend who's a chef that's going to be preparing a dinner for us. We've got, you know, my closest friends and family. And I'm like, <laughs> you know and that? he was like yeah and he was like yeah I mean I asked Duncan I was like I want you guys to come over for dinner and Duncan was like I gotta ask Christina and so I was like oh my gosh you just told Larry Fitzgerald you had to actually ask me if we could go to dinner <laughs> in front of him I'm like brownie points to the end of time like so that's how mad respect for that yeah <laughs>
0: Well, you mentioned George Lopez, uh, Larry, the cable guy, Michael Pena. Is there a story from playing with any of them or being around a course that that is really fun from from any of those guys?
1: Yeah, I mean George Lopez. You know, he um, his he his ex-wife. You know, prior to their um, separation and, and subsequent divorce, she donated a kidney to him years and years ago, and so he always has a charity tournament that benefits his foundation. Um, you know, it ends up being right around Cinco de Mayo. And, and I remember I've been over to Lakeside to, to play in his charity outing with him. And I remember it was myself, the owner of Hard Rock Hotels International, Tim Allen and Samuel L. Jackson. It was the five of us uh, just playing golf. And Samuel L. Jackson is a really good golfer. I was so <laughs> impressed his play and and you know you've got Samuel you've got um, Tim Allen you know from Home Improvement and um, you know the Santa Claus and and all of that you've got um, you know and George and the three of them were just like one after the other just you know just spitting one-liners and were so freaking funny and um, Samuel L. Jackson had said he was like oh I'm going to be on Ellen later today so I need to make sure that I'm off. The course by this time or whatever and we're like yeah sure of course and you know these cele- these celebrity tournaments these charity events they can take a long time and so I like looked at my clock and I was like Sammy you said you had to go and he's like oh I mean it's that Universal Studios it's just like it's right on the other side of the golf course I'm like okay but you you gotta go and he's like man Ellen DeGeneres can wait and I was like this is a world that I do not comprehend <laughs> this is crazy and um Uh, you know, and George Lopez, you know, he calls me uh, chingona, which is kind of like the the, the feminine version of like badass or, you know, just like a cool chick and things like that. And that's why I always say chingon when I'm around him. And, you know, it's just, he's, it's just, he's just a really, really great, genuine guy. And, um, you know, I just, I love him to death.
0: Well, again, amazing friendships that come from golf. I'm going to wrap this up with some quick fire, rapid fire kind of questions about some of your favorites in the sports teams, things like that. We know that you're from the Bay Area. So favorite sports moment, non-golf?
1: Probably when the San Francisco Giants won the World Series in 2014, because two weeks after that, I won my first LPGA tournament in nine years. And I, for the longest time, was very reticent towards following baseball and i ended up getting the opportunity to go down on the field meet a bunch of the guys in the spring of 2014 and i said fine i love baseball and followed them have been a diehard fan ever since um thankfully fell in love with them you know i i it was so bad I was I was so out of the realm of baseball that I didn't even know that they had won in ten and twelve, and so early in, t- in twenty fourteen, met them, hung out with a bunch of them, was on the field, and then watched my first baseball game. Fell madly in love with it and have been a diehard Giants fan ever since.
0: Favorite musicians or bands out there? Ooh, if you keep it to man, two or three. This is
1: tough. Oh my God, okay, uh, Tool, Disturbed, and oh my gosh. Um, this is like- Strangely <laughs> enough, like-
0: Agony uh, for you three, to choose us.
1: Three Days Grace, yeah. We'll go with that. Oh, and then, you know, Five Finger Death Punch, and you know, I Rise Against, and I, <laughs> it's so too many. And Beck, Beck is classic, he is timeless, he is funky he is he taught me that it's okay to you know basically drum to your own beat so very iconic to me
0: taught you that like per- had you met him at all or or just just good from god no his music uh, influenced me his music okay favorite tv show go to oof bobs
1: burgers it's right. wholesome it's fun it's sweet it you know it, it it's a show that you can just dive into endlessly and you'll always feel good at the end of an episode. That or Seinfeld.
0: Classic from the 90s. Um, favorite movie character?
1: Probably Doug from Up, I guess. I, I don't really, I'm, I'm more, I don't watch movies. I don't watch TV shows. I do like dogs, though.
0: We're here at the practice session of the interview now, talking about, the range, pre-round warm-up. And for Christina, for you, um, when we get to the range and you see us amateurs, us weekend hacks, we show up to the range, how should we loosen up our body?
1: Well, I would say the first thing that I've noticed is you're going to come in, you're going to be there probably 10, 12 minutes before your tee time, you just grab your driver and start wailing away. I think that <laughs> the best way for just golfers in general for the most part is to start out with some wedges and to just really work on your tempo and your rhythm and just really working on where and how your ball, your club is bottoming out. So I would say, you know, especially since, you know, if you're at like, you know, a normal range that doesn't have, say, Pro V1s, um, you know, I would say, you know, grab a couple of the less perfect, least new balls out there and just work on hitting just a couple of pitches just to get your body warmed up, just to feel your body starting to move and slowly, gradually work your way up. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing that you'll see most tour players, you know, if we're not starting up on an actual, whoops, um, on an actual short game area, like a chipping, something like that, we'll throw some balls down on the range and we'll just start hitting some wedge shots just to get the body um, moving, just to get our rhythm going, And, you know, just to to sort of just loosen up, I guess. And then from there, you know, you gotta hit a couple of irons. You can't just start swinging and wailing away on your driver. I don't, I used to do that when I was younger, to be honest, because I was always very strong, very flexible, and I just loved hitting drivers. So, you know, I was a very unique case in that way Um, and, you know, I was always very, very accurate with my driver. So I never really worried about, um, you know, hitting it offline and the older I've gotten, the more experience I've had, the more importance I've been able to put on my wedge game. So, you know, just starting off, just, you know, I mean, even if you were just to hit at the end of the, uh, the T area, just you know, it's all about timing all about just getting that flow going and then you can move into a short iron mid iron long iron and kind of go from there and then you know once your body is fully warmed up and you're loose and relaxed which clearly since i'm pouring sweat right now here in florida is not does not take very long then you can start whaling on your driver
0: and for overall for you for timing what's the overall length and focus of your pre-round warm-up christina
1: Well, I warm up for about an hour, you know, personally, before I even go to the range, I'm on the putting green and working on um, short putts, you know, like I'll set down a chalk line or I'll put down some tees or some ball markers or something like that, just to get my eyes seeing what a straight putt looks like. Because realistically, every single day, your eyes can look a little bit differently. So in order to, you know, really train your eyes, even if you were to take an alignment stick and put it down so that you can always stand square to it and you can get your putter head you know, uh, perpendicular to that. You can get an idea of really seeing what square is. And from there, you know, the rest of the game starts to feel a little bit easier because if you know what square is, you'll know what square is with your irons, with your driver, all of that stuff. So I actually start by about you know, hitting putts for about 15, 20 minutes. Then I go to the range for about a half an hour And then I'll go and work on a couple speed putts right before I tee off. And then right before I actually go on and head to the tee, I always finish with six putts made. Three footers, five footers, eight footers. There's no real, um, you know, rhyme or reason. You know, if I'm putting great, I'll hit six, eight footers in a row. And if I feel like, you know what, I just really need to focus on seeing a ball go in the hole I'll go to three feet. I'll go to two feet, whatever it may be. And then I'll have those thoughts of, boom, I made six putts in a row. Let's get going.
0: And that I'm sure is a good thing for amateurs to know just to get that confidence. Um, But there's anxiety that comes for us weekend hacks too. Like, think about it. like uh, In the last couple minutes before we actually have to tee off, are are we thinking, okay, you should hit your driver as much as you can because you know that's your first shot you're going to hit? Or is it more about, like you say, the putting and you know getting that confidence there?
1: Well, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, the last club that I do hit is my driver when I'm on the range. And I, you know, I'll have like 10 to 12 minutes before my tee time when I go over to the putting green. I think that, um, you know, reaffirming to yourself how, I mean, you think about it. I mean, it's usually about 45, 42 to 47 percent of your strokes come on the putting green. And so if you feel comfortable with your putts, you can start to feel more comfortable with every club in your bag. So I would say hit a couple drives. I always finish with two perfect drives, hold your finish, pretend like you're having like a fancy little photo shoot. And then, you know, really pay attention to what it is that you're doing because it's all about quality, not about quantity. So, you know, you can sit there and whale away at eight drives in six minutes, or you can sit there and hit five really good ones in that same amount of time and actually learn more and get a better feel for what it is that you're doing when you're hitting your driver.
0: Mm. You mentioned a little bit of alignment, uh, of course, your alignment rod. Um, how, How much of that do amateurs need to get in that 12 minutes like you talk about when they get to the course? How much of kind of training aids alignment do they need to be working on?
1: I mean, honestly, you could have one alignment stick in your bag and it can, it can be a wonderful multitasker. I'm not a huge fan of unitaskers. If you're the kind of person that, you know, wants to use a chalk line, you can use a chalk line on the putting green where you get, grab like a five foot putt that's dead straight, put down the chalk line, get your uh, putt with the, the, the ball right over the middle of the chalk line, hit some putts. And then also you can leave that there for other people on the golf, uh, on, the, on the putting green to utilize. Same thing, you can put a chalk line down where you want your feet to go, or you can even put a chalk line down um, where you want your, you know, if you're gonna pick one specific target and hit all of your shots at, and then it'll give you an idea of being able to see what square is that way. Um, So realistically, you only really need one solid aid. Um, And I think you can either debate between an alignment stick or a chalk line because they can be used in so many ways. You can have them, you know, coming out here, you can have them uh, coming perpendicular to your stance like there's any number of things that you can do in that regard
0: that'll help with alignment uh, but when it comes to All this anxiety we feel as weekend hacks, hacks uh, when it comes to bunker shots I mean we if we only have 12 minutes 13 minutes We may not even get to a bunker shot, but if we do carve out two or three minutes How can we best get rid of that anxiety for bunker shots when, when we get into a round?
1: well I would say again, first and foremost, don't come to the course with 12 minutes before your tea time. Enjoy the process of warming up, enjoy being out on the driving range. You know, it doesn't have to feel like such a chore. Um, And, you know, what you could do real quick is if you're in a bunker, and let's just say this is a bunker because it is pretty sandy, you can just draw a line um, perpendicular to the target, and you can just, you know, take a step back you're going to have a decent length line and just you know pretend like the ball is over here and then just really try and get the bottom of the club to bottom out you know that inch inch and a half two inches depending on what kind of shot that you're playing behind the ball so that you can really feel where your club is bottoming out and and, and when you're using your bounce um, you know more often than not I see a lot of amateurs that they'll you know be in a bunker and they'll they'll just get they'll they'll get really steep and really stabby. You know, whereas if you were to take it, you know, I'm using my a- iron here just so you could see, you know, the 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 loft there, if you were to open open up your body, open up the club face and uh, let me see, a really good drill that I would suggest, which might be hard to see, is if you're in the bunker, you grab some sand set up to your shot and I want you to feel like you keep the sand on the club face for as long as you can. You want to feel like you're going to get the sand and throw it over your shoulder because that's going to be able to get your hands open and the club face open so you can really scoop underneath the ball. So you want to be like this and then you want to flip the sand over your left shoulder if you're a right-handed golfer. Um, so that could help you with just the overall motion of it you kind of want to, you know, you, it's like if you're standing here, you know, a regular shot, you're just trying to get the toe pointed to the sky. In the bunker, you want to feel like you're really rotating that left hand. You want to get that, that logo of your glove almost pointed at the sky. Mm. And then from there, you'll be able to just, you see how much loft there is coming in and you'll be able to use the bounce and get the ball coming up straight up and use the bounce which will allow you to get that nice thump through the grass as opposed to the which i see so often
0: the chunk down on it or even uh there's a lot of blading (laughs) blading issues for us too
1: yeah i um, you know i I think that you know by having that and another thing is to always try and be wide and again where where you have that line that you either draw with your your, or you draw with your alignment stick, and another thing is you can even practice it when you're out on the range. You know, you just set up. You want the ball just a, you know, you want the ball forward in your stance, and you want to feel that motion, and then you want to feel the club because you want to have the ball forward. So then, if you know where your ball is or your club is bottoming out, you'll really be able to sit there and say, okay, I know I've got to keep the ball forward in my stance, open my stance a little bit, and then just really feel that motion. And, you know, really just kind of, I would say a lot of times, one thing I see a lot of amateurs do is they don't finish their swing, especially in bunkers. Mm. The most important thing to do is to always have smooth acceleration and to always try and finish your swing out of a bunker shot.
0: Get to that pose. Like you were talking about with the driver, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. You just want to post up and be like, everybody take my picture.
0: Well, Christina, Three-time LPGA Tour winner and now commentator out here in, in the summer here for LPGA Tour Live. You've done a lot so far, even before the restart. you got get got to get ready for that, too. But, hey, thanks for spending some time. Really uh, enjoyed uh, getting to know you more here on on the pod.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast.
0: All right, great stuff there from Christina Kim. She's been very busy this week and this weekend, and my thanks to her for coming on, making some time um, during her busy schedule to kind of inform us of where she's headed with all this and and what she's been enjoying so far about commentating. Um, Looking forward to the finish of Memorial. I'm sure we're all going to be watching there. Tiger does make the weekend, and Tony Finau uh, has a share of the 36-hole lead. We'll see how he does with Ryan Palmer as well and a lot of big names john rom of course towards the top we'll see how this all shakes out thanks for joining this edition of beyond the clubhouse of course you could follow me on twitter at johnston garrett and we also have a new twitter for the podcast it's at beyond the clubhouse surprise surprise right uh, keep the questions coming i always really like getting those in from twitter into the show and i look forward to talking to you guys soon